Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Sex, Love, and Addiction. This show was created to provide accurate expert information and support for those seeking insight into the painful realities of cheating and infidelity, sex and porn addiction, as well as the relationship between chronic drug abuse and paired sexual behavior, commonly known as chemsex. I'm your host, Dr. Rob Weiss, a licensed therapist, addiction specialist, sexologist, clinical educator, and author of 10 books on intimacy, addiction, sexuality, and relationship health. This podcast is a forum for discussing sex, love, and addiction in frank, fact-based, informative ways. My primary goal is to bring you clear advice, opinions, and feedback from some of the world's most renowned experts in human sexuality, trauma, addiction, mental health, and relationship intimacy. This show is sponsored by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs, which are also dedicated to providing expert-focused, highly specialized residential treatment for men struggling with sex, porn, and related addictions. You can learn more about Seeking Integrity and my work there at www.seekingintegrity.com. Now let's get started. Hey, everybody. I have a special guest for you today. I am with Harriet Hunter, who's author of the book Miracles of Recovery. But more importantly, her specialty, her area, the thing that she really is interested in and focuses on is journaling and how the process of writing and self-examination and looking at herself through words allowed her to promote and really grow for herself and then be able to pass this on to other people. I know for me, journaling, God, I journaled for like 22 years or something. And it's amazing for me to look back at those early recovery journals and say, is that what I was thinking about it, you know, at 28 or 32? Or So I know this is going to be a real gift to you. And let me give you a little introduction before we get started so you know who this wonderful woman is. Harriet is now an award-winning author, having taken the gold medal at the FAPA's National President's Award Contest. In August 2019, she received a five-star review from Reader's Book Review and Contests. So people love her book. She spends much of her time working with others in and out of recovery, behind prison walls, through sponsorship, and by being of service. When not writing, Harriet facilitates a six-week course, which we're going to talk about, called Journaling with a Purpose. She can also be found in her kitchen, on the golf course, and movies with friends, and she's actively preparing an audio version of Miracles of Recovery. Um, She also lives with her two dogs, gotta love a dog person, at her home near Tallahassee, Florida. And she's going to give information about how you can reach her and how you might even work with her online. So welcome, Harriet. Hello, Rob. Thank you so much, Doctor. Well, I have to say, you're here because a colleague of mine heard you speak and said, this is so fantastic, this woman, what she's doing. And I think everyone in recovery would benefit. And and she also thought, I think that partners and spouses and people who've been betrayed and really harmed by the addict's behavior can also benefit. So let's just start with you. I mean, how did you find your journey to recovery? How long have you been, are you in 12-step programs? How, How did you find this path for yourself? Yes, yes, yes. Well, the path was my only saving grace while I was home in my own dysfunctional arena. So I started journaling just to feel grounded, just to kind of get a sense that I exist. Hold on, hold on a second. I got to ask you this. What do you mean you you existed? I'm sure you knew you had hands, you had feet. What, how did you, what do you mean <laughs> that you didn't exist? 
oh, no, no, no. Just that I had a very, I felt very tumultuous home life as the oldest of five. And it was just real traumatic. Lots of craziness going on. And you relate that to your addiction? Your, or I don't know if you were an alcoholic or a drug addict, but do you, you relate your early family experiences to how you ended up with those issues? Well, uh, yes, yes. Because they say it's, I'm an alcoholic addict and so much more. You know, uh, the only difference, let's just say, between me and a prostitute at the time was I didn't have the guts to take money. If I did, there's no getting away from it, see, from yourself. So journaling was a way for me to see myself. Yes. So before we get to the journaling, I want to talk about you a little bit. So you said a few moments ago, you know, I, I was a prostitute. Oh, I might have been, a, might as well have been a prostitute. And I certainly relate to that. I just never charged for it, which probably is to my detriment, but there you go. I'm sure recovery was a journey for you. I'm sure you didn't start on the street. And yet you ended up in a place that you never thought you would. Was that a journey from having a relatively healthy life to ending up in that place? Oh, heaven, yes. Absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. What happened to your life, the life that you had? It went nowhere. It, it went nowhere. I mean, I was successful at nothing. I had good jobs, but that was what I needed to sustain my, my lifestyle, to uh, pay for what, you know, what I was doing and, and, and the marijuana and the pills and the, and, the, and the booze. Oh, my God. But after a while, the jobs, the job, I got so paranoid, I couldn't even sustain the jobs anymore. And then I got married and then I had a child, you know, and through all that, nothing changed. When you say nothing changed, what do you mean? Well, I mean, I still drank and did as much as I could. Uh, I was not in recovery until my daughter was almost 12 by then. My husband was a, was an ex-cop and uh, I was still trying to smoke. And he said, look, it's me or the marijuana, but you can't do both. And I said, OK, well, can I drink? Yeah, he said, you can still drink. And I said, that's all I needed to hear. So you kind of survived your life. You weren't in it. You were dancing across the surface of it, especially hard as a mom, I would think, to look back and say, I, I could have been more for my child. I could have been more engaged. I think that's probably the hardest part for both the men and women I work with is when they're in recovery and their kid isn't four anymore. Oh, boy. Oh, boy, I'll tell you. Yeah, it is. I could write a, a whole nother book about from age 12 to before my daughter passed away, you see. First, my husband, but then my daughter at uh, almost 26 in Australia. So you said that you you had major losses in your life that were not necessarily related to your drinking and using, but they left you making a decision that you couldn't live this way anymore. So I want to get to the journaling part because what I've heard of your story is that it's such an essential piece for you of how you found your way out of such a dark place into having you know, none of us have the perfect life, but having a life of service that you feel good about, you feel good about yourself, you have a life. Why journaling? I mean, there's so many ways. I mean, I don't know if I'm, I found mine, they weren't that way, but wh what was it about journaling? Journaling allowed me to go where I would not let myself go. Journaling allowed me to look within. 
people go to therapy for exactly what you're saying. They go to therapy to explore themselves, to learn about themselves, to look at themselves. That's one way of doing it. Did that not work for you? No, it didn't. I I never went to therapy. I wanted to go with my husband when we were married because we had a terrible marriage and even worse sex life. So, but he wouldn't go. He was the macho cop persona. It was my problem, not his. No, he hated AA. He told me, you know, I, I liked you better when you drank. That just gave me more fortitude to change my life because I had two attempts of suicide and I knew that I was biding my time and I was just playing with fire. Harry, you were a mess. You were an absolute mess. I was a mess. And I'm looking at this woman, you guys don't know that I can see her. And I see this lovely kind of grandma who's, you know, stable and sitting in her house. And, you know, it's so funny to me that we would never imagine when we see people on the street, especially we make assumptions about older people. And the fact of the matter is dancing. If I did anything in my life, I was a dancer like no other. I did ballet and I was with the the New York Ballet Company for a long time. And and then that went sour because of several different things when I was very young. But it always, dancing and journaling. There was journaling where I felt I was being seen and I saw myself. And then there was dancing. Dancing, I could dance anywhere, to anything, to anybody, at any time. So you're an artist in various ways. Can we just clarify what is journaling? Why don't we just start with that? I, uh, to me, it was, how was my day? Here was my day. This is what I did today. And this is what I ate. You know, that's what journaling used to be. Right. Journaling is a walk to the heart. When I pick up a pen, and this happens for all my sponsees too, even the ones that say, oh, I hate, I hate, it's not for me. Oh, no, it might be for you, but. But journaling is a walk to the heart. It allows me to see what I would not see otherwise. I believe it has to do with the way my brain is wired, maybe. Cognitively, I cannot make sense out of my world until I journal. And when you say make sense out of your world, you mean your emotional world is that and what comes out of that? That's hard to build a relationship with from your head to your heart. But the journaling led, led you to your heart. Well, yes, of course. Of course, absolutely. But also my intuitive, logical self. When I got sober after I realized when my husband died, I had never been alone. I had no idea how to do a checkbook. So I had to sit down with my journal. And first I had a little session with God. Just to kind of open up the way, open up the the pathways. And, you know, I said, God, I need your help here, man. I've got this amount of money. I've got this money over here. So I laid it all out in black and white. And when I did that, it began to work for me. I began to add the numbers and see I could borrow from Peter to pay Paul. And things opened up and made sense. Whereas when I tried to do it, alone, I couldn't even see half the picture, let alone the whole picture. It's funny because you say the word alone. 
And when I think of myself sitting with a pen and a piece of paper, I feel like I'm alone, but you don't think of you in the journaling as being alone. Oh, not at all. No, no. No, because it's where I can put all the pieces of my life in a logical order, where they need to be like a puzzle. Journaling for me, and I've journaled as most of my life, I think until I really got meaningful recovery, I, that was my path. But I think at the beginning, it was, like I said, writing about, you know, what TV I saw today and who I ran into and what I had for lunch. And so, you know, and what I plan on doing tomorrow and, uh, you know, maybe some feelings about a friend or something or a meeting I went to. But but that's not what you're talking about. So can you explain the difference between that and what you're talking about? I can talk to you about journaling with purpose. And I learned a lot of this, doctor, when I was newly sober. Because I got sober online. I never had the guts to go to walk into a room. I was terrified. By the way, can I say something to everybody about that? Isn't it fascinating that we can get drugs from anybody, have sex with anybody, be a total mess on the street. But when it comes up to actually just showing up for ourselves in a quiet, supportive space, we'd rather stay home and drink milk. Just can't do it. So anyway, I interrupted you, but I think, you know, that is a truth for many of us. So please continue. So you got sober online. Yes. And part of our working together and doing the steps, part of my my qualification, if you will, is I had to send her gratitudes three times a day. You're talking about the person who's, and I would, not everyone knows what a sponsor is, but it's a, it's a free form of support in your 12-step where you look to someone who's a role model and you ask for their support. Yes. So the person who was supporting you said, I want you to write me three times a day and what? Once you're going to write me gratitudes, but here's the twist. Now, you, you got to remember back to when you first came into sobriety. Life was black. I hated everybody. You know, I came from a tough New York, Western New York. Everybody wanted to be, was a wannabe mafioso where I came from. You know, we had this, we had the dress and the big heels and the talk and the. Like a gangster. You grew up in a gangster environment. Yes. And the goal was to see who could keep the guys the furthest away by being the nastiest. So anyway, so she said, I don't want I don't want to know. I, don't tell me that the sun's shining and the grass is green. I already know that. I want you to tell me. I want you to use words. If you look outside and the trees look beautiful, I want to know how it feels. How does it make you feel? And I'm like, oh, my God, I, what are you kidding me? How does it make me feel? I had no more any idea of what a positive affirmation was than the man in the moon. But that was the beginning of a shift. That was the beginning of a huge shift for me in my perspective. For the first time in my life, I had to look at something differently. And, and everything in my life morphed from there, from that perspective, mm -hmm, everything. So that today, even though today I am alone in a way that is not often pleasing, you know, I'm much older now. Uh, my dog has died. 
My family has died. It's just me. So I have a whole nother level of greatness and of positivity to sustain on a daily basis. Wait, let me understand what you're saying. When you say sustain, you know, some people say, my husband died, my child died, I live alone, I'm such an unhappy, miserable person. And it would be harder on them than the person who is married in a relationship. So you're saying you have to work that much harder because of your circumstances to not to rise above it, is what you're, is rather than sink into it. Exactly. Yes. This same sponsor, mentor, whatever, if you will, everything that I did, we, we did differently. She made me have um, three sections in my journaling, for instance. One was gratitude because it made me feel beautiful, content, happy. Can you give us an example of gratitude? Yes, yes, yes. I'm grateful for my hair because it makes me feel attractive. I'm grateful for my thighs because it makes me feel strong. I'm grateful for my book, for my voice, because it makes me feel powerful. Are you ever grateful for the things that are difficult? For example, I'm grateful to be alone. Oh my goodness, yes. I'm grateful that I'm alone because I get to make decisions based on what is for my highest self, my greatest self. Yes, all the time. So you turn your lemons into lemonade, not just the things, because you have hair, you can't see her, but she has great hair. And if I had that much hair, I'd be happy too. But that's not, you're not just talking about the superficial things. I think you're saying, can you be grateful for the difficult things? Because that's the end goal. That's the end goal for us, no matter if it's journaling or, or what, this case, what the situation is. The end goal is to find the positive and find our own truth of positivity inside us so that when the big things come, we'll know what to do. Hey there. I sure hope you're enjoying this Sex, Love, and Addiction podcast. Before we continue, I'd like to remind you that if you or someone you know or love needs treatment for sex addiction, porn addiction, or co-occurring drug problems, Seeking Integrity can help. For more information, please visit our website at www.seekingintegrity.com, that's seekingintegrity.com, or call us at 747-234-4325. So how do you get from, someone told me, don't describe the tree, <laughs> tell me how it makes you feel. And then you have to start saying, well, I feel the beauty of it. I feel the wind in my hair. I, I can see how the leaves are moving. It makes me feel alive. Now you got from there to, how did you grow from that into a broader sense of what you had to work on for yourself in terms of writing? Because that's really what we're talking about, writing your way into health on some level. It is. It is. The second section of my journaling was resentments. And so I couldn't just write a resentment. I'm angry because he stepped on my toe. He uh, shut the door in my face. He cut me off and tried. Oh, no, no. I had to report back to my sponsor. I'm resentful at blank. And then I had to write a, a page or a paragraph. Or I had to just spill my guts and, and get rid of it. 
And it's really a mini 10th step, if you will, so that there's more room for the positive. It's all the minutia of the day that bogs us down, that we carry over into the next day. So by each day addressing all that malarkey, getting rid of it, at the end, I had to close it. Dear higher power, please take this from me. I don't need it. And then I started with the clean slate. Deep breath. New day. The third section was a way, without my knowing it, to increase my conscious contact with my higher power. This is the piece that saved my life when my daughter died. Here I am in a strange country. I don't know anybody. And I'm watching her die day by day in ICU. She never left. So, yes, that section I had years to work up to because I never had, you know, I was I was growing up in a staunch Catholic and all of that Latin and all of that. Genuflecting. Genuflecting. Oh, my goodness. Yes. What about that? Why do you bring that up in terms of your daughter's death and and then you bring up your the religion you were raised in. Um, help me make that connection. Well, yeah, it's I'm trying to disconnect from that to a more spiritual arena, which is where I am today. And that's how I make my conscious contact with my higher powers through journaling or meditating. So, so many of the women that I work with have been betrayed, many men too, personally violated by someone they love. They experience it as a death because what they thought they had, what they thought had been, what they thought meant to the other person, it's all just, they don't, it's all gone now. And they don't know what they have and they don't know what they ever had and they don't know what's coming in the future. So I can see that being a big resentment. I guess I'm asking for them, what about this third piece? How would they take that and transform it? Because I'd be thinking, well, that's nice for her. But then when I hear you say, I got through my daughter's death, through journaling. How did that help you survive your daughter's death? There couldn't be a more painful loss than that. Because it allowed me to face reality. For instance, how, no, the question is, how did I stay alive? I, in, in one of the pages in my book, I wrote, it's not about what do I do now? It's about why do I still live? How do I still live? That's what it's about. What is my reason? So the meaning comes in really the kind of thing of, I must be here for some purpose. If I didn't, if she died rather than me, then there's something here for me to do, something here for me to learn. Absolutely. It's not about me. It's none of my business. It happens to the world, to everybody all around us. It's about acceptance. It's about step one for me. So the more I wrote it out, the deeper I got. The deeper I got, the larger my understanding, the, the more broad, the easier it was for me to accept that this wasn't happening just to me. People die every day. People die everywhere. People have losses like this all the time. It's not just your pain, even though it is your pain in a way that no one else could understand. Yes. And... Through all that, doctor, what really was the driving crux for me is I know as an alcoholic addict 
and so much more that I do not have the luxury. I can't afford to sit there because if I sit there, I die. Luxury of what? I'm sorry, luxury. I'm not sure everyone understands. I don't have the luxury of sitting in poor, it being a victim. You know, I write about telling people they got to get off the cross. We need the wood. I can't stay there. But you lost your daughter. And I'm going to go back to that because, you know, I don't want you to come across sounding like someone who was just able to toss that over your shoulder and move on. I mean, (laughs) especially I would imagine finally being sober and able to have a more meaningful relationship with her and have that happen. So I know that, that you didn't just turn around and say, oh, I'll do a little journey and I'll pray and I'll understand how my daughter's death fits into life and I'll be fine. So you're talking about something much deeper than that. And I'm trying to push you to, to help people understand it in terms of the journaling. In terms of the journaling. By the time this happened, I had been journaling for 20 some years. Most of that time already journaling with a purpose. I've been going deeper. I've been having therapy. I've been using that therapy, what I know, what I know from the steps, what I know from other people. And I took everything that I needed and I left the rest. So that when this happened, I was in a, in a better position to not go off the deep end whether it's keep driving straight into that concrete abutment or going to the nearest liquor store, which is the most natural thing for us to do. Is to run away. Oh my God. Well, that's our MO. Absolutely. So what are these, I want to get more concrete in terms of when someone says, I want to learn to journal. I want to work on this. I know you teach a course. What are you, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, but what, are, what concretely are you teaching them? Are they using these three columns? I mean, what are you asking them to look at and in what way? I'm sharing with them everything that I have learned over the years. Um, we do a lot of therapeutic journaling. I offer a lot of prompts, a lot of positive prompts. You probably are already familiar with the Patient Bill of Rights. Patient Bill of Rights says, I deserve to speak my truth. I deserve to say no when it's in my best interest. I deserve to set boundaries. Yeah, I I deserve, I deserve. So we do a lot of, a lot of that talk. And before we get there, I bring them to that place slowly. And the first three sections that we talked about really are the jumping off points. You can't get there until you're able to see. If you don't spot it, I believe you don't got it. And what kinds of things are you asking people to reflect on? Because many of the spouses I work with and some of the addicts is like, you know, I had a terrible life. Uh, I did these awful things or I, I often things happened to me. And, you know, I just got to get past that. I just got to move ahead. You know, I, and you're not talking about running away from things. You're talking about moving toward them. Oh my, absolutely. Yes. I'm, I'm talking about courage for the individual to find out what they're made of. Okay, because this is a journey, in my humble opinion, between me and my higher power. It's not a journey between me and my spouse, me and my therapist. It's a journey journey between me and my God. Because when my husband's gone, 
when my daughter dies, when my mother and my only dog is on his last legs, when everybody's gone, I have to have enough fortitude and say, okay, what's the deal? Now, what's the plan? What's the plan? I believe that life is one big session in letting go, learning to let go from the time we're babies. And when things happen, it happens in such a way, uh, for instance, one thing I journaled when my daughter was getting x-rayed and having her test, I bet you I wrote a thousand times, dear God, I know if you bring me to it, you will get me through it. And I wrote that and I, and I didn't stop writing it. And it was comforting. It was reassuring. It was positive and it worked. That's what I mean. I believe every single one of us has an obligation to find out who we are before we throw the person out with the bathwater, whatever that silly thing is. What person, I'm sorry, I lost you, to throw what out? Ourselves or other people? Ourselves. Before we throw ourselves out and say, this is crazy, I can't do this. This is too much. This isn't going to work. I can't do this. No, we can't. No, we can't say that because you have no idea what you're made of. And can someone tell you that? Can someone say, I think you're this and I think you're that and I love this and I love that? Isn't that enough? (laughs) I don't think so. I think until we write it and see it reflect back to ourselves, to our soul, it has to move from our head to our heart. And only when that happens do we know it. We can believe anything, but until we absolutely know it in our soul, until we can walk with it, carry it. It, in this case, is walk with what? Walk with everything that we never knew we were. See, this is a fact-finding mission. Journaling with a purpose is a vehicle to allow us to find out everything that has been so buried for so long. You've heard that, the adage, you know, if you spot it, you got it. Well, if you can't see it, you can't spot it. We have to bring it up. Bring it up enough for you to be able to name it and claim it. So I want to say that what you're talking about from what I hear is a really pretty courageous journey because I, in almost every situation, want to say, well, I'm in pain because of that, or this hurt me, or it's it's, uh, something outside of myself, you know, which obviously I can't control. But what you're saying is if I walk around feeling like a victim of my life, then I don't know who I am. I'm just a reaction to everything that's happening around me, not a whole being. Oh, my God. Especially in recovery. Recovery demands that we change everything one day at a time. If somebody wants to live, to live and experience the best of who they can possibly be, we have to know who that is. So you have a lot of knowledge that you really want to share with people, and it has brought you most of all, what I can hear is a tremendous sense of peace with yourself because you know you know that these things aren't about you. You know what you can handle. You have a place to turn for more peace on a whole bunch of levels. You also teach a course in this online, and I want to understand 
you do six weeks? Do you just teach women? Do you just teach men? Just teach men? And how can they find this if they wanted to attend? How does that work? They can go to my website, harriethunter.org forward slash J-W-A-P, Journaling with a Purpose. And if they just go to your website, I assume they would find this too, just by poking around. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, absolutely. The six weeks isn't just intensive uh, therapy, uh, therapeutic writing. We do a session and everybody goes crazy. It's called I Am. And so I just let them write. And it's a real, real quick, what's the word? Quick, tight reflection of little sentences. You know, I am a New York girl born from a mafioso, you know, whatever, whatever. It's hard to explain, but it's fabulous and they love doing it. And then we read it, you see. And being able to read to other people is the beginning of another catharsis. Well, what you're talking about is being witnessed. And a lot of us grew up in circumstances where things were happening, but no one witnessed it. It was all carried inside of ourselves. And having someone witness, not in the religious sense, but simply sitting with you and experiencing your reality, that's and in many ways, what happens in meetings? Meetings are like journals. You know, we raise our hand, we share our truth. No one really responds. So I love this. Tell everyone what the, this book is real quick and why you wrote it and if it might be helpful, how? Miracles of Recovery was born as a result of the death of my daughter. The year before she died, and we knew what was going to happen, but uh, she developed a staph infection as a complications. So it it occurred much sooner. Long story short, I spent a year trying to become an uh, an expert in RVs because I knew I could feel it. I, I had to get away. So, and I always wanted to go cross country. So I bought an RV almost a year to the date that she passed. And I took my two dogs then, and we went cross country for seven weeks. And in those seven weeks, I wrote half of my book. I wrote titles such as Fear of Failure, Getting Rid of Perfection, Living in Abundance, The Magic of Messages, Breaking the Illusion of Control. I think I have a dozen on control. I have about a half a dozen on boundaries, a dozen on faith, being true to self, forgiveness, 350 topics, you see. I know. I was. I have to say, I was looking at your book and I thought, she wrote 400 pages? How did she do that? That's a lot of writing because it's your discipline in life is this. Harriet, how can they reach you directly? Through your website if they want to talk to you or if they'd like to join the journaling or read your book? Yes, it's Harriet Hunter, all one word, dot org. And there they can leave a comment if they like on any of my blogs or. Or this. Oh, yes, because this will be up. Sure. Thank you. And um, that's probably the best way. Or they can reach me. I'm an open book. Little play on words. They can reach me at Harriet, Harriet Hunter, O-D-A-A-T at gmail.com. You know, I have to say that I speak to a lot of experts and I speak to a lot of people with fancy degrees and I speak to a lot of people who are, you know, have taken their experience and turned it into whatever they turned into. 
I don't speak to as many people who have gone through their own personal transformational journey. And I'm so glad to, to hear someone who's turned their lemons into lemonade. And I know that's a trite way of saying it, but in the true sense, you have not only created something to give yourself peace, but you've also created something that you can share with others, which gives its whole other, we were talking about this earlier, that's a whole different level where I have now gotten to the point where what I've done can help other people. And that's my joy in sharing it. And that's the essence. Yes, that's why I'm alive today. Is to help bring peace. To somebody else. Absolutely. Harriet Hunter, it is an honor to speak with you. I am so blessed to listen to what you have to say. And Miracles to Recovery, I'm sure, is going to guide a lot of people. The journaling is going to guide a lot of people. And you are here to help all of us. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Doctor. Hi, this is Dr. Rob again. Thank you for joining us today. If this show has inspired you to seek further information for yourself or someone you love, I encourage you to visit our Treatment Center website, which is www.seekingintegrity.com. There you'll find some useful information about the residential treatment we provide, which I think is some of the best, most useful, short-term, effective, intensive care you can find for sexual addiction and compulsivity, as well as combined drug sex or chem sex problems. On SeekingIntegrity.com, you can find some useful advice and direction for healing. And don't forget, if you want to write me about this podcast or reach any of my guests, please write me at Rob at SeekingIntegrity.com. I really look forward to our next time together. Take good care.